Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast, where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host Deepa Natarajan, that Indian girl from Toulouse in France. Today we're going to talk about how do I get triggered? What gets triggered in me when I meet arrogance? How can I work through situations when I'm faced with arrogance? Today we have with us Bob Anderson, who's going to talk to us about this subject, which we see so much of today within us and outside of us. But do we see that outside of us? If we see that within us is a question. And this is exactly what we're going to explore today. Bob has dedicated his career to exploring the intersection between leadership and personal mastery and between competence and consciousness. Bob is the creator and the author of The Leadership Circle Profile, which is an integrated and a very innovative leadership assessment tool. I've used this tool many times over the last years, and I love using this tool. And I use this tool, I think, almost every single time I work with a leader for coaching. So Bob, he is truly a pioneer in the field of leadership development and research as the founder of the Leadership Circle. So let's welcome Bob Anderson. Hello and welcome, Bob, to the show today. How are you doing? Wonderful. Snowing outside. Morning is breaking. It's a beautiful day. (laughs) We need a bit of humor and we need to look at good side of things, especially in this time of the year where we are today. Wow. That's for sure. So we're here to talk about how do I get triggered? How do we get triggered by arrogance? And before we deep dive into that, like we all identify arrogance in different ways. And how do you identify arrogance? Well, first, let me be clear. I have, I don't have any. (laughs) I'm completely devoid of of this problem. (laughs) So actually, I was thinking, well, is your question about how do I identify it out there or in here? Right. So I think it's it's an important um, starting place for a discussion of something uh, delicate, like arrogance, because um, it's easy. It's easy to uh, put the problem over there and um, say that person is incorrigible or doesn't, you know, can't work with them. All that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and the principle is take the log out of your own eye first. It's kind of uh, how I'd like to hold this conversation, because I think it's really important. How do, I see, how do I see it in me? Do I see it in me? And because um, that has everything to do with how as a leader or a coach, consultant, I will engage it. That is so true. That is so true. I need to see it in myself because it exists in me. But the thing is, 
my starting point has always been to identify it in others. Right. That's, that's where we been start. my journey. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we start. Um, I, I have only just seen it in me. I'm 65. Yeah, probably deeply within the last few years. It's the first time I really got to saw it and went to the bottom of it. It's like, wow. Prior to that, I cannot not project it. This person is arrogant. Can't work with them or I wish they'd get off there. Right? Exactly. Get a life. And that's all my reaction to seeing in them what I'm not willing uh, to hold in myself. Which doesn't mean there isn't an arrogance there, mm. right? There isn't something there. Mm. Um, but I'm in reaction to it. I'm angry at it. I'm frustrated with it. I'm, I'm not really in relationship with that part of the other person. Because I can't be in relationship with that part of me. Right. I disown that part. That part's not okay. And think I don't have it. You have it. You're worse than me. Get get it together. <laughs> Are you reading my mind? <laughs> no, I'm reading my mind. <laughs> I'm just welcoming you to the club, right? <laughs> because um, I'd like to share an example to make it a little bit concrete. Right. A couple of years ago, I think it was 2012, 2013, sometime back then. I remember it was winter around January, around this period. I was walking into an office in Paris, starting off as that was my third year as a leadership consultant. And I was very happy with my first assignment to be a coach for 10 of their top leaders in that organization. Hmm. And I meet the big boss and I walk into his office and picture this literally. He had his shoes and his feet on the table. Now, in India, the culture where I come from, mm. you would not put paper on the floor. Paper is Lakshmi. And um, if you have a book on the, on the floor, you wouldn't push it like a stack of books or a stack of file. You wouldn't push it away with your feet uh, because that's, uh, there's, that's God. And, mm. and so here, like, a table is sacred. And I see a man with his legs crossed on the table and says, hi, come in, bonjour, uh, come in. And I'm shocked. <laughs> and that's my first meeting of arrogance. Hmm. Or your first, you know, I don't know enough of the story to know whether he was arrogant, but you certainly saw that as arrogance. Exactly. That's my first encounter with a symbolic um physical embodiment of arrogance mm -hmm. another physical embodiment of arrogance i see you know somebody and and the same person like 45 minutes later and it was difficult for me to get him off uh that table because i wouldn't want to sit in front of him and have an equal discussion and so this was a little uncomfortable 
And I walked in, I was standing in front of his table and I said, We're, I'm here to discuss about this topic. And I felt myself becoming a mouse. And then I said to myself inside, something's going wrong. I'm not feeling comfortable here. And I very politely in all humbleness said to him, would you like to sit across the table there? He had another table for discussion in his meeting room and he had another sofa there. And I said, would you like to sit there and discuss because I'd like to show you some things, you know, kind of finding my way through like, you know, his table didn't have enough space for me. And that still felt odd. So I was finding my way around it. But when I left the meeting, I wasn't comfortable. Mm -hmm. So what did that trigger in you? Hmm. And we don't, this is a podcast, so we don't want to turn this into a coaching session, but it's. Yes, yes and no. And I'm happy to go there um, because I think it's going to help a lot of people. And that's um, because we all encounter these examples in different situations in different ways. Um, I left the meeting feeling powerless. Mm. Yeah. And now when I think at hindsight, it was this question of, did I, f- yes, I did feel respected because he completely respected me. He gave me entire liberty to do what was needed with his people. He completely trusted me. I had his entire trust. So it wasn't a question of trust. Uh, do you trust my legitimacy to do the work to help support your people? It wasn't mm-hmm. that question. It was really this, um, how do I bring my sense of power across or my power over you? And that's what I felt the power over you, I command. And it perhaps took me back to my childhood days when our parents had all good intentions, but would have command over us at some points of time when we needed it to be disciplined. Um, And this discomfort with, um, I don't feel like I'm at the equal level of power with you. Uh, And that is what, was triggering inside me. And so now I wonder, how is that related to my arrogance? And that's where I'd love for you to shine a light on. Well, I'm drawn, I'm just drawn to the part of you which wants equal power. Like you're in a, one-upsmanship, you know, you're, I need to match you in terms of power. So I find myself curious about what's at risk if he has more power than you. Mm. I wouldn't be heard. And what's at risk if I wouldn't be heard? Mm. how do we get this project through if we can't listen to each other? Right. You won't listen to me. It does not take me seriously. Project's not going to happen. All that's churning in your discomfort. But I couldn't see it then. No, you don't. I mean, you're, you're in it. You're in the stew of it, right? Exactly. Uh, it's, 
taken you over. You're now at the effect of whatever that is. And that's where the work is. So it isn't so much that I can shine some brilliant light on, oh, here's what's true for you. Mm -hmm. It's that descent that you need to make into what happened for me in there. Mm. And what did I make up? And how much of that is actually true? Mm. Like most of what you just told me no, actually wasn't true. He did respect you. He was listening. And yet inside you're making up. If I don't have equal footing. <laughs> literally in this case. In this case <laughs> exactly. Maybe you should have just put your feet up on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> then I don't, I'm not going to matter. I'm not going to count. I'm not going to. That is absolutely right. That is absolutely right. Like everything is this internal narrative that is going on inside of us. That's kind of like boiling inside of us. And I'm so much in collusion to what's happening inside. And, and it's like, and it's a cloudy, foggy, misty, and I can't see through it. But now years later, I can see uh, now, especially in this conversation, I can see, and it actually reminds me of another metaphor that I was thinking of. When I walk into a doctor's office, right? You bow down to that hierarchy immediately. Now, no matter at what level of power you are in an organization, when you walk into the doctor's office, you know it's his frame right? And then you know that he's the one who's going to ask you these questions and you're the one who's going to answer. And then you feel uncomfortable. Where is he going to touch me? Like, oh, do I have to take my shoes off? And, you know, (laughs) what's going to happen next? And especially, you know, when you're getting an exam, you know, an MRI done or something, you just like, um, that's of course, like, you're not in a position of equal power, right? Right. Then, I remember this situation, this instance way back when I was uh, eight years old, I met Mother Teresa and I was punished in my school, uh, standing outside my class. And, you know, in India, when you're, when you make a mistake, you're asked to go outside the class so that everybody can see that you're the one who's punished. And (laughs) we're asked. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) But one step further, back then in those days, this was 1980s, early 1980s, I was asked to cross my hands like this and sit on the floor. <laughs> and, I, and it feels humiliating. And then I see two sisters walk up to me, and I, one was the principal of the school, and the other, one was, other person was Mother Teresa. The energy of the corridor completely shifts. I stand up and I say, good morning, sister. And she puts her hand over my head and she says, God bless you, my child. And suddenly there's this wave of energy and the whole thing is shifted. And she brought with her, um, such humility 
that I never felt that positional authority, like when you walk into a doctor's office or like when I see my school principal or like when I meet someone in an organization who puts his feet up or like, you know, who bang his hands on the table. So there's something different there. And I think we've got something to learn from there. And yeah, just wanted to bring that up to you. None, that sister was Mother Teresa? Yes. Touched your head? Yes. Wow. So you you felt real power. You experienced uh, a very high form of power. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. In your shame. I mean, you were, that is a shaming exercise, right? Exactly. You've been, you're, you've been bad. Go out and let everybody see that you've been, you're being punished and you have to do even this to make it somehow, I don't know what this means, but yeah, more ridiculous. And you were met with blessing. Wow. Hmm. No space for arrogance there. No, there, yeah, there isn't any. But there's uh, tremendous power. And it's, it's transformative power. So if I bring this back uh, to your story of the CEO, I mean, I mean, apart from, I was just enjoying too when you started this story. Like I remember year three of my career. Wow, I'm meeting with the CEO. Uh, this is a really big opportunity. I really need to be on my game. Uh, and in a certain sense, for me, I'll speak for me. I am somebody here. I'm, I'm like, wow, look at this. Look at me. Look at me go. You know, there's a certain amount of like, and uh, and that's all part of the how the story unfolds. I need to present this persona, be seen this way in order to be taken as credible. Exactly. Like, I remember I was wearing high heels that I was not used to. I was wearing, uh, it was a bank. And so I was like tiptoed in my suit. And yeah. yeah, in this persona to be seen in a certain way. Yeah. And the other part of that is you don't have equal power. Period. Like there's a truth in that. Hmm. He has all the power. You're a consultant. You're gone. We're done here. Conversation's over. And no amount of positioning is going to change that. Are you there? Looks like you yes. froze up. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not frozen, Sam. Okay. 
That is so true. And it takes a certain amount of time for us to realize that our sense of identity or my sense of identity is so tied with this image of how I need to be seen, how I need to be spoken to, how I want to be greeted, how I want, and how things need to be done with me. We've tied ourselves with a certain notion of identity and the certain notion of identity, you know, um, what car I drive, um, how quickly can you get a rendezvous with me? All these different notions of um, status uh, and what, how my identity is tied to that status, we have learned it unconsciously. You cannot not learn it. It's just part the natural, the natural evolutionary process. First, we develop an ego identity. And we attach a lot of things to that. This, this is what makes me me. This is what makes me safe, good, successful, important, somebody. And we come by that honestly. And it really works, helps us. It takes us a long way. And the beauty in it is we, we pack our gift in it. Mm. We build it right around where we're most talented or most like innately gifted strength. Oh, this, oh, I can leverage this. So uh, for me, one of those things was I'm really good with ideas. And it's, I didn't really know that. It's, I've come to know that. But every time I would put out ideas and get listened to, have my ideas taken seriously, ah, that felt pretty good. Uh, I wasn't the most popular kid in the neighborhood. I wasn't the best athlete in the neighborhood. I didn't have the friends that I wanted to have in the neighborhood, the cool friends, you know. And um, so, but when they listened to my ideas, in school in particular, especially high school. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm important here. And so I spent a lot of my early years uh, uh, just uh, taking that skill of leading, but leading through ideas and through my ability to speak and, to, you know, and leveraging it to the hill. I was captain of the, you know, this group. I was involved in this. I was president of student council. I was, you know, and, um, and you know, took me You're a long important. way. You suddenly become important and you suddenly realize that your words have a lot of impact and meaning. And so how did it feel when you first came across somebody who didn't listen to you? Uh, well, it, like you, it was more than uncomfortable. It, it was, for me, it was one devastating, but I probably wouldn't have admitted that. But I was, I'd get, I get angry. I get aggressively, I go at it or I uh, go small because underneath that 
is a fragile boy who wants to be seen. So I either come out hard, uh, look, here's what you don't understand. You gotta be kidding me. Really? You think, wow. Uh, <laughs> and just talk to my partners. Uh, they'll tell you about that side of me. Or I can go complying in our language, go small and um, withhold my ideas. But inside I'm angry at being powerless, not being you know seen, so unheard, all the stuff he said. So this is a, a, a universal, that's why our model we call a universal model. These are universal dynamics in us and in relationships, in teams. They're going on all the time in every meeting. For me, it was, there have been a number of wake-up calls for me. Um, I'll just, the, the most recent, the one that really dropped me into what I now understand is my arrogance was, you know, we have this 360 assessment and one of the measures on there is arrogance, which is, I was thinking about this this morning because I knew we were going to talk about it. Arrogance wasn't a dimension on the original profile first one and uh, when you create an assessment you got to collect a lot of data well in those days it was really hard to do because you didn't have you know the internet stuff like that so uh, i had what data i had and as i collected more data as we were using the survey i started to really do more in-depth psycho you know psychometrics and i kept seeing this a factor that kept showing up. It was three or four questions that just like, what is that? It keeps showing up as a factor in the factor analysis. And I, I don't have a, I don't have a dimension for it. I don't know what it is. And I finally, I just dropped in, I read the items and it, Oh, that's arrogance. How could I create a, a leadership survey which measures both, you know, a whole array of really creative competencies, but also a whole array of these kinds of reactive tendencies we're talking about and how they compete with each other um, and how our reactive tendencies cancel out these creative strengths and competencies. And uh, how could I create an assessment like that for senior leaders and not include arrogance? And not include arrogance. Not, I just want to underline that. that. And thinking, not include right? arrogance. Not include, not arrogance. include arrogance. Well, I didn't Thank realize God they it was had my you own on blind the team. spot. <laughs> 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 anyway, so it got included, and it's been, um, you know, it's a it's a very important dimension, and it's a hard one, just by the language of it. I mean, who wants to be seen as arrogant uh, or? Uh, and uh, I got, on, my, on our 360, when we did it with our team, I got scored very high on arrogance. I really want to go there because it's so hard. I've debriefed so many profiles, but every time a leader sees that his profile is high on arrogance, and I somehow meet people like me, and so I somehow attract clients who have a high degree of arrogance and a high degree of control. Uh, what a coincidence. And... Yeah. And the number one 
what's hard to digest and accept is arrogance. No way. You got to be kidding me. I don't have that. I've got to go talk to these people. There you are. You're, so you can hear it in the voice. I got to go talk to these people, right? It's that. They're wrong. They, and uh, so just an aside from my story, I was uh, doing some work at Notre Dame and we 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 give out the 360 and then we do rounds of coaching sessions. So I'm probably in day two of back-to-back debrief sessions starting at 6.30 in the morning. And this is my 7 p.m. last assess, last round for the day. So I'm tired, but, you know, and uh, I walk into this little room where we're going to have the meeting. Sitting across the desk from me is a senior executive. Uh, he's got his head down. His 360 materials are in front of him. He doesn't even look at me. I sit down across from him. He doesn't even look at me. He pushes the binder uh, to me and he says, tell me about this arrogance crap. (laughs) (laughs) That was how we started the meeting, right? That was the first recognition of arrogance for you. No, no, no. I'll get to my story. This was so I'm, <laughs> I'm coaching this guy and uh, he. Uh, I tried to explain what it meant, you know, gave him a definition, worked with him, tried to just talk. And now I don't get I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Finally, and I'm I'm getting nowhere. And inside my voice says, just play back how we met you. And so I said, after, you know, I I was out of options, I said, uh, well, I don't know you well enough to do this or to say this to you, but I'm going to trust that this is, you know, I just, I'm going to anyway. And I, I said, let me just play back for you how our meeting started. I walked into the room. I sat down from across from you. Now, most people would make eye contact or smile or say hello or shake my hand or even say, wow, you've had a long day. How are you doing? Here's what you did. Tell me about this. And he, he rocked back in his chair. I did that, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Wow. Okay, I get it. And then his whole countenance changed and he says, you know, people don't physically recognize me when they see me outside of work. They don't recognize me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got a ball cap on. I got a beer in my hand. I got a smile on my face. I'm when I walk into work. Game face game on. Oh, let's talk about that. Well, the conversation opened up. It was an extraordinary conversation. And so it will show up even in those, like how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, like you described, it's 
even in that reaction is the is the and some of the most effective things I do in coaching sessions is just ask people to go get some feedback on how they how people experience that and the impact of that. And they come back and they go, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea that that look on my face could have that kind of impact. Huh. Now, here's where it gets really delicate because I was working with a CFO who was going to get fired if he didn't shift this pattern. High arrogance, high autocratic, very critical, harsh on people. And the CEO brought me in <clears throat> to work with his team, but principally to help this guy if he could make it. <clears throat> and um, we did some work together and um, I referred him to a consultant who would do a very intense and deep day with him all day. And this was prior to the leadership assessment. They had their own leadership assessments and so on. He came back from that day and said, that was profound, profound, but I'm not ready to talk to you about it yet. I said, okay. So weeks later, he says, you want to hear what I, kind of what I touched into with that? I said, it's up to you. He said, Bob, when I was a boy, I was adopted. No, no. When I was a boy, uh, family, my sister and I, our parents decided they didn't want us anymore. And they put us up for adoption. I was five years old. And they split us up. We didn't go to the same household. I ended up in a family of alcoholism. And I vowed, I made a vow that I would make it and that I would survive and that I would be somebody someday and that I would never let anybody get close to me again. Now he's the CFO of a large organization. He kept his vow. Beautiful thing. This is where you, this is what we have to see underneath is a, a fragility, a place I got hurt or wounded or not seen or maybe even quite traumatic. And I took a strength of mine, my power, my willpower, my uh, native kind of raw brilliance, and I survived it and I've. I have thrived to become somebody. Wow, is that a beautiful thing? It's a beautiful story. And it's a great reminder for all of us to be compassionate with the hard stuff that we see outside. We see outside it's a hard nut to crack. Or we see from the outside that this is a difficult man or a woman to deal with. Uh, so, so let me, let me, great. Yeah. So the, the interesting thing here is though, they're not difficult. They're raising a difficulty in me. There aren't this, I, I, I lose track of this all the time when I'm in the room. There are no difficult people. There's only difficulties that arise in me because it, I'm getting triggered. 
Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and I, then and I make that me. normal. I make that a normal code that I'm getting triggered, that this is normal, normalcy, if that's the word, or this is normality, this right. is baseline, and yeah. that is not baseline. That is going about. Right. I'm justified in my reaction, my anger, my frustration. This is your, and you're not okay. Exactly. Exactly. You're not normal. My reaction is justified. Exactly. This is the right. And so it's the, the way we meet that with compassion or equanimity, or even with the grace that Mother Teresa met you with, I mean, is when we've plumbed the depths of that in ourselves and we can hold that part of us with compassion. Oh yeah, I have that. You're just like me. Let's talk. What's going on for you? And if you're back in the room with that initial CEO and you had all that, you would go, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder what this <laughs> is about. Huh. It's kind of an interesting way to meet someone. Uh, let's see where this goes. Let's, you know, curious. End of story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there is no arrogance. Or if there is, it's like, okay, I start to see, okay, and this is the work. And then we're, we're, we're meeting that like you were met by a Mother Teresa. Just presence. Just undefended acceptance, compassionate presence. Whoever you are is, I have no agenda here. Nice to meet you. Now, this is really, this, this is really hard work. And um, we're talking in a coaching relationship, but it's also a leadership conversation. In other words, how do we meet as leaders, these different personalities in a way that allows for the conversation to not get derailed or cancel each other out or, but actually open up into a higher level of connection and a higher level of listening and a higher level of idea creation. And we can't do that if we haven't become a student of our own reactive tendencies and the fears and hurts and wounds that are underneath them, wherein we took our best and formed an identity around it, which is now too small for us. It's now in the way. It's not who we are, it's how we're not who we are. I'd love to emphasize that again. It's not who we are. It's how we're not who we are. I'm not my ideas. So back to my story, I'm in a fight with my partner, Bill. I won't get into the content of it, but it was pretty fierce. And it had to do with ideas and ownership and authorship and all this stuff. And uh, I'm way into my reactive and I've gotten this feedback on arrogance, right? And I 
kind of, I didn't push it away. I said, okay, I don't see it, but I want feedback on it. And I, you know, I'm open to learning about this. That was about as far as I could take it. And uh, so this year or two after that, I'm in this com- this conflict with Bill and um, I'm doing my emails, to, you know, here's why I'm right. Here's the history on this. Here's why you're wrong. And nothing's coming back. I mean, it's, it's, I don't get anything back. And of course we're the two founders and principals of this company. So if we're like this or we come apart, this is not good for the firm. So I'm both upset with him, angry and fearful. This is not going, this could be really problematic. This could be really bad. And uh, one day I got sort of some perspective on it. And I said, you know, I wonder if maybe I'm part of the problem here. You think? It's such a brilliant Uh, question to ask ourselves. I wonder if I am part of the problem. Yeah. What's this problem forcing me to learn? That if I learned it, the problem would actually dissolve. Not that there isn't something to resolve or work on, but the the whole problematic nature of it dissolves. Well, here's what happened. I went to the woods after, you know, a couple of rounds of working on it. I was in the woods walking. I was mulling it over in my head. I was really angry. And I decided to really drop in to the anger in particular. And I, I experienced myself sort of feeling it, feeling it, feeling it, and dropping deeper and deeper into it. And all of a sudden, I was sort of at the bottom and I just went, ah. Oh, And I don't know why ideas or why insights happen when they happen, but this huge insight, I am my ideas. These ideas are me. No wonder. (laughs) I started laughing. I am the arrogant one and I'm accusing him of being the arrogant one here. Wow. And furthermore, I've been holding myself this way in the firm. Now I understand. I understand because my identity, and I saw the core identity hook. I am my ideas. These ideas define me. They are me. I don't just have ideas. I'm not just good with ideas. They have me. And so you criticize my ideas. You want to collaborate with me. Um, uh, that's dangerous territory. Right, Criticize. because if my ideas are not accepted, then you're not accepting me. And I'm getting rejected here and not my ideas because there's a very fine line or it's so hard to separate that ideas from my sense of self. It is my sense of self. I am this. This is me. It's not true, but... I made that up at some point, as I told you, when I was learning that, oh, this, this, I'm good with this. And I've been leveraging that my whole life. I've made a whole career on it. And it's a gift. I am gifted there. And it's been a gift that's made a difference in the world. So this is the other side of arrogance is right at the core of it is a extraordinary gift. 
This is true of any of these reactive tendencies. We're focusing on one here. Absolutely. <clears throat> and when I'm identified with it, when it has me, then we get into all the dynamics you and I have been talking about. And it cancels out the gift, actually attenuates it. And then uh, only when I could see it in me and go, oh, I get it. It's not true. And I could hold that with compassion. And I've done deeper work on it, actually, to get in more to the core of where that got set up. Um, then I can meet this compassionate place or this uh, same place in others with more compassion and less triggered. And I had that just last week. I was doing a one-on-one -on -one with a guy from India, actually. And it was arrogance that kind of presented. When we got to the bottom of it, uh, he was stunned by the inside and, and then dropped beneath it. And he was immediately, I didn't, he just went there in a childhood experience from India. And I won't get into the content, but it had to do with what it was like to finally discover that you were in a lower caste and what that meant and the rejection from your friends and so on. Uh, he just started to weep. And he spent a good part of his life trying to prove that moment wrong and be somebody. And he's really successful later. It's a great gift. And he took his very, he took all of his best talents, he packed it in there. And now he's reached the limit of that and he's getting experienced as rough around the edges and arrogant, pushy. That's a gift. That's what's made him successful. And to take it to the next level, he's got to unpack that. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many key things that you mentioned here in the last 40 minutes. It's just phenomenal. I think if I rewind back, one of the things that you just mentioned was, and it reminded me of, what if there's a video camera watching me all the time, right? <laughs> because I can't see it in me, right? But I can so quickly and immediately see it in others. I'm so sharp at it and I can get so triggered by it so easily. But in me, no way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's doing you in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's the reminder for people is when you get triggered, that's the first question to ask yourself is like, where am I arrogant? And go find out. And I say this to people, ask five people or do a leadership circle and find out, you know, what's happening with your leadership, with your creative and reactive tendencies. But there is a gift in just simply asking people, can you tell me when have I come across as being arrogant? And yeah. then learn to shut up. <laughs> yeah. And what's the impact of that? How, did that? how does that impact you? What's it look like? And how does it impact you? You'll learn a ton if they're willing to tell you. And Absolutely. you're right. And just shut up. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> 
Because in there is this need to justify, because like you said, uh, there's a strong gift in that. And it's like, but how do I bring the gift across if I don't be this way, right? And so there comes this justification and this defensiveness and this need to pacify others that this is okay, this is normal, that's just the way I've been, you know it. Uh, And it hasn't been a problem for you, has it? Uh. Yeah, so what I'm just struck by as you say all that is you really know this territory. And um, as as you you know it in yourself, and so it's that's what you have to meet the leader with, who's struggling with the same very same thing. It's just the same structure. So, and I ask myself the question. Why do I get identified? Why are these kind of leaders attracted to me or why? And I started looking back at the last 10 years of data as to every single leader that I've coached is high on the control side. And how is this systematically in the last 10 years been such a big coincidence? And it's because they identify with the gifts that they see in that trade. Oh, you've got that strength. I've yeah. got that too. And yeah. that's what they're pulled yeah. by. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a gift that you bring them. It's a gift of power and it's a gift of the, one of the gifts of arrogance is I won't play small. I'll tell, tell it like it is. Um, I'm going to show up and be a contender and I'm really good at what I do. And um, I... I show up with a presumption that I'm going to be taken seriously. Exactly. And they like that because I remember my meeting two two days ago. I met this leader and and I said to him, you're not going to get investment. And he said to me, how can you say that? I said, I'm telling you the truth. And that's what they like about me is like someone who knows who's sure, like who is confident in themselves. And at the same time, that can very quickly turn into an arrogance. This is, yes, that's the and <clears throat> part of the say the gift of my partner Bill. Bill has a lot of this, a lot of power and arrogance too, and we've we've been in quite a learning conversation together about it. But part of what makes him so successful is that he gets immediate jurisdiction with leaders. Immediately, they feel that resonance. They get it right away. The very thing you're describing, and <clears throat> and so it's a gift. But you, you, when you're identified it with it, you can overplay it, and then it gets in the way, and. Um, and Bill would tell you that he he can see arrogance a mile away, and it really and really gets his goat, you know. And uh, so we've been an interesting pair to be learning together because there's been a lot of this, but we've been able to work it in a way that. Um, so that's both what attracts them, 
and uh, and then there's learning in that for both of you. So it's a, that's why when we first started, when we first talked about doing this on a particular thing like arrogance, it's really important to me to say we have to really explore the gift of this because it is a tremendous strength. And the problem is not the strength. The problem is I'm identified with it. Mm-hmm. And that get, uh, takes me so far. <clears throat> Um, it may have saved my life at an early age and have built a life around it. But it's now, uh, and as I move into more complex kinds of relationships and businesses and structures, and then it reaches limits. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was thinking of a person who said to me the other day in a coaching session, I have um, open office hours. I have meetings where people can walk into my office anytime. And I have now slots from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. where, you know, people can just book an appointment with me. Anybody in the organization can come and meet me. And I said, that's great. I said, do people show up? A lot of times, yes, but a lot of times, no. What's going on? Well, they're afraid of me, but I'm not afraid of them. Yeah. And um and of course uh on his leadership circle profile arrogance was very high and um it's that I'm not afraid of them but they're afraid of me so it's for them to come and knock at my doors and walk in because I'm here for them. But how do I open those doors is a question. And do I see that arrogance in me? is a question. And so as we're coming to an end of this podcast, I realize I need to see it in myself before I can question others as to why something is not happening. And for me to see it in myself, the first step is to ask for feedback, is to ask how people perceive it and how and the impact that it has on people. And the second um, um, point that I'm drive that I'm getting from this episode, this discussion with you, is our life stories have led us to become a certain way. Yeah. And we need to dig deep and dig deep down to understand what drives our behaviors. What drives us to be the way we are? And I would suggest that we do that with a great deal of reverence as you were met by Mother Teresa because these are actually sacred stories even though, you know, however we put these patterns in place. And so... And in them is a a strength that's seeking integration or a higher form. So it's all, um, I don't know, I just, how do we meet it without trying to go on a search and destroy mission, fix, solve myself, fix myself, something wrong with me, I got to root out or fix and sort of hold it all as kind of this, this is 
my evolutionary edge. I'm meeting the next edge of evolution or how evolution is evolving itself through me. And this is, this is not only my edge, but evolution's edge. And um, then it becomes a kind of sacred work and not some kind of fix-it project. The other thing I would just add was in service of what? Why would I want to look at my arrogance? It's not the most pleasant thing to do. Well, unless there's something higher that I'm trying to bring into being, I know I have to engage with a higher level of capability or presence or uh, invite the team to a, a more collectively intelligent conversation. Uh, where we actually get synergy instead of um, lowering the kind of average down to the lower, meeting the kind of dumbing down. If, I, if there isn't something that like is pulling me, then I won't do it. There's no reason to do it. And so this kind of tension between what's pulling me or the emergent future that I'm committed to creating because it matters and then I see that there's a way I'm showing up in that that doesn't serve that as fully as it could, then there's a reason. Say, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when that pull is there, then I'm willing to ask myself that question, what needs to die within me? Mm -hmm. What do I need to let go of? Where do I reset? Where do I not go back to? Yeah. And in Hindu, you can remind me of the names of the gods, but one of them, the Trinity there, is the destroyer, the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. And so for anything to transform, all three functions need to be in play. I have to bring forth and preserve the best of what we have been, this giftedness, and something needs to be destroyed, dies, you say, in order that something new can arise that's even a higher order form of that same gift. And that those three functions are the churn of evolution. Evolution in the universe would not happen if there wasn't a destroying function. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? And, you know, we ask ourselves the question, like, why do we worship? Like, I, I remember um, my husband asked me this question, why do you worship the destroyer? <laughs> why are there so many temples for the destroyer, for, for Lord Shiva? And it's because it's destroy the anger, destroy the hatred, destroy um, the violence, destroy uh, jealousy destroy the time ju just went by, destroy the past and take me to the future. Yeah. The self that you are now will die for a higher self. You can't get there except through the dismantlement that um, Thomas Hull uses this word metabolize. I like that uh, because 
we literally are creating a higher order version of ourselves by digesting the old self, (laughs) right? Breaking it down and reconfiguring it into like metamorphosis. Caterpillar breaks down, becomes butterfly. That is the process. It doesn't always feel good. Uh, But the destroying current, if you will, is important. Picasso says every act of creation is first an act of destruction. When I saw I am my ideas, that whole identity and all of it was starting to just come apart. It's not who I am. It's not true. Fabulous. That is fabulous. And that came because there was a certain pain. There was this challenge that you were facing with your colleague. And my invitation, um, don't run away from suffering and pain. We have so many numbing techniques today to numb our pain and our sufferings, but don't numb them because in there and through transitioning through that, going down that path is what allows you or all of us, us, you, me, and everyone to actually transcend down and see what needs to die and be born into something creative, into something what this world needs of us to be more collaborative. Yeah. Well, I sense we're coming to an end. We could just keep rolling here. I know. Exactly. Thank you so much, Bob, for being here. And would you like to share? And there have been so many wonderful nuggets here. But as a parting message, what would you like to share? I'm trying to, there's a poem that I want to, that's coming. I can't, I don't have the first line. There's one that you mentioned in the podcast when you came a couple of years, uh, I think last year or the year before. All things change. When we do. Yeah. Uh, I got it. I think I got it. Uh, Rilke, the swan. This clumsy living, which moves lumbering as if in ropes through what is not done. This clumsy living, which moves lumbering as if uh, in ropes through what is not done, reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks as she nervously lets herself down into the water, which receives her gaily and flows under and after her wave after wave, while the swan uh, is pleased to be carried, more like a queen composed further and further on. I missed the line. This clumsy living, which moves lumbering as if in ropes through what is not done, reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks. You hear the compassion in that and the gift in it, the grace, the beauty. This clumsy swan on the land, right? This clumsy living, which moves lumbering as if in ropes through what is not done, reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks. Hmm. And to die, which is a letting go of the ground we stand on and cling to every day, is like the swan, 
when she nervously lets herself down into the water, which receives her gaily and which flows under and after her wave after wave while the swan, marvelously calm and pleased to be carried, more like a queen composed, farther and farther on. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Bob, for being here with us. My pleasure. Beautiful to be with you. Thank you. And thanks for listening to all uh, our audience. And I look forward to talking to you all soon again in one week's time. And until then, stay cool. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) Bye-bye. Blessings. I hope you liked listening to this episode. And I'd love, and Bob would also love to hear your comments. So please do send us your comments. Let us know what you liked about this episode. And I thank you so much for listening. I look forward to talking to you again in two weeks time. And until then, stay cool. Just note that we have now switched to publish episodes every second and fourth Monday of the month. So there'll be an episode once in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening and look forward to talking to you again in two weeks time. And until then, stay cool.